Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, where we let light shine out of darkness. With your host, Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist. If you love what you're hearing on the Illuminate Podcast, there's a few ways you can add support. First of all, you can leave a rating on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. This helps people find this important life-changing information and these great interviews that I've done with so many wonderful people. You can also make a donation directly to the Illuminate podcast, and a link is in the show notes so you can do that. And you can also purchase online courses which go directly to funding this podcast on my website at lovingmarriage.com, and there you can find the Trust Building Bootcamp and a six-part audio series on how to heal a marriage impacted by pornography addiction. And there's also a couple of other shorter courses and workshops available on my website. And Illuminate listeners get 15% off all of these courses by entering the coupon code Illuminate at checkout. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illuminate podcast. I'm Jeff Stewart, your host, and it's always so good to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know your time is precious. And I want to make this worthwhile for you. And I know it's going to be worthwhile because I've got a good friend of mine and one of my favorite therapists out there, Dr. Jill Manning. Do you remember those old commercials where they they would say like, he is the most interesting man in the room or whatever. I don't remember exactly what it was for, but I think of Jill Manning as one of the most interesting women in the room. She is definitely one of those people that you want to listen to and pay attention to. And she always has something really insightful, creative, and just interesting to share about relationships, you know, betrayal trauma, addiction recovery, when she presents, when we're just hanging out, talking in informal conversation, just the way she thinks and approaches is so thorough. It's so thoughtful. And she's just a really smart, interesting person. And I just really love listening to her. And I'm just excited that all of you get to spend some time with her for this episode and the next one. When Jill and I talked about what she could do to support the Illuminate podcast audience, uh, she suggested that she'd like to talk about self-care. Now, Jill has a different take on self-care. It's not that different from perhaps what you've read, but I think she goes in a little deeper than maybe what uh, we've covered, not only on the podcast here, but also just probably what you'll read other places. She talks a lot more in depth about nurturing you at your very core, not just physically taking care of yourself or you know, boundaries or things like that, but really getting to the heart of what you need at a much deeper level so that you can live congruently and really nurture yourself in a way that's more long lasting. And I just love the way she talks about it. It's been really helpful to me and I've learned a lot. I always do just listening to her talk about these things. In fact, Jill just finished a series of digital downloads that you can purchase on her website. And one of them is a list of over a hundred different ways that you can nurture yourself with self-care. And they're broken up into categories and they're just really thorough and different than maybe what you would always sort of automatically think of when it comes to self-care. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can go check out those resources. I highly recommend anything Jill does. She's just, uh, again, one of those people that is spot on and really thorough and thoughtful about the stuff that she produces. Let me tell you a little bit about Jill. Dr. Jill Manning, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she does specialize in working with individuals who have been impacted by betrayal trauma in their primary relationship. And she's been doing this for over 20 years, and her work has been featured in lots of places. She's been featured in peer-reviewed journals, so she's an academic, 
And she's also been on television programs, radio shows, magazine articles, including Oprah's magazine, which is super cool. And she's also a former social science fellow at the Heritage Foundation in DC. And while she was there in that role, she actually testified before a US Senate subcommittee about the harms of pornography on the family. And I referenced that uh, report that she did so many times in you know, my early work years and years ago and still reference it occasionally. It's just really thorough and helpful. Lots of great evidence that makes a case for why pornography is harmful to families and society. And she is serving on the board of directors for Enough is Enough and the advisory council for Fight the New Drug. And she's a native of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and lives in Colorado now with her husband and her two daughters. So I want to introduce you to Dr. Jill Manning. Well, welcome to the Illuminate podcast, Jill. It's so good to have you here with us. It's great to be on and here. Yeah, I'm excited to spend some time with you talking about these things. Today, we're going to talk about self-care. Self-care is, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's a pretty misunderstood term, quite honestly. I think most people, when they think of it, they think bubble baths and chocolate and sleeping in, which can totally fall under that. But I think that that limits it. And I think a lot of that, especially self-care comes up a lot with the women we work with. But I also think that a lot of the men sometimes don't even understand. They think it's something more for their wives, somebody who's been traumatized or who's you know, physically overwhelmed. And so there's just a lot that goes into this. And so I'm really thrilled that we're going to talk about this and really debunk some of the common myths about it and really in a way, sort of expand what's possible for self-care, right? That's, that's where we're going to mm-hmm. go today. So I'm, I'm excited yes. about that. First of all, can we just talk about why self-care from a betrayal trauma standpoint? And then maybe we can talk about it from an addiction standpoint, just so that we can cover sort of both sides of this, Jill. What would you say? Sure. Well, I, I'm so grateful for your attention on this key topic. And you know, when you and I were brainstorming topics, Jeff, the thought did go through my mind, oh, self-care, we need to talk about that. And then I immediately thought, oh, this is so overdone. Right. There's so much discussion about self-care. What more can we do with this? But as I sat with that, there's so much that's not said about self-care that I think can make a world of difference. And so I, I'm excited today to really give traction to this topic in a new way and hopefully kind of break it open in some ways that can give people leverage for a way to grab onto it in a new way. So self-care, I think, is it's fundamental to betrayal trauma healing, if we want to start there. Yeah. Because when betrayal and when life is hit with one of these just devastating experiences, it throws you for a loop. It is extraordinarily draining. It is draining physically, emotionally, physically, spiritually, your relationships, all of it. Every aspect of life is affected by this. And so what I see, Jeff, and I am keen to hear what you have to say on this as well, is it's so critical because often, I'd say most people generally don't put enough thought into their self-care and their hygiene of life, if you will. Oh, I like that. And so when something devastating or a trauma hits, the need for self-care when it's at its greatest is often the most compromised because we're in such a vulnerable state and we are resource taxed. Yeah. So, right. So it's, it's essential and it can be a challenging piece for a lot of people, especially if it's not something previously they're used to doing. Well, right. And I, I think about, you know, I think about it from like, uh, I live in Utah, so there's a lot of food storage here in Utah. <laughs> and I think about how, you know, 
especially when you know COVID hit and people ran out of toilet paper and things like that, people quickly assessed in this crisis what they had, what they didn't have, and it really brought up a lot of anxiety. Most people realized that they were they were short on supplies, and so then you'd see the you know not just toilet paper but everything. And I think when crisis hits. Most of us aren't just walking around with a big, huge supply of emotional, spiritual, physical resources. Most of us are, you know, we're living sort of on the edge, just busy with kids and life and commitments and work and other kinds of things. And so when a crisis hits, it's like the last thing we think to do is like refill the storage inside of us with all these things. It's like, no, we've got to figure out how to survive. And we're usually doing it on fumes. I mean, we just, most of the time we're living, kind of operating, unfortunately, in a deficit. I know for myself, it's, it's a lot of work just to keep a buffer between me and sort of everything else. <laughs> right. So true. So. And, and to build off the analogy you just gave, Jeff, about food storage and, and just general reserves uh-huh. when we're going through a crisis, if you think of that analogy, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that if you and your wife discussed food storage, have you? In recent months since COVID hit, what do we have? What don't we have? How do we store this up? Okay. Yeah. You turn to one another. You turn to your partner to have a discussion of how do we do this better? Where are we coming up short? Let's come up with a plan. When betrayal trauma hits, one thing that's so devastating about betrayal trauma is it undercuts the very social support and social schema that we would typically turn to when a crisis hits. So true. And so, so th- I mean, that's one of the distinguishing differences between betrayal trauma and a fear-based trauma or a fear-based crisis is that it undercuts the very social network that we would want to turn to and instinctively turn to. So, for example, many years ago, I was in a 13-car pileup. It was uh. a traumatic event for me because I did not think I was coming out of it. Mm. And, you know, your amygdala kicks in and everything's in slow motion like molasses. So you have what feels like many minutes to contemplate your death. (laughs) And so, but in the wake of that accident, what did I do? I called my people. Yes. I called the people I trusted to take care of me in ways that I wasn't able to because of the accident. Right. When a betrayal trauma hits and it's your partner, your go-to person, your supposedly trusted in your corner, has your back person, that compromises and jeopardize even handicaps that ability to just instinctively turn. That's all complicated and thrown for a loop. So self-care, learning to build our own internal reserves during a crisis like betrayal trauma is essential because we don't always have the benefit or blessing of our go-to person readily being there to steady the ship. Right. Yeah. All the instincts turn you toward them, but all of the mm-hmm. trauma turns you away from them. And exactly. it is like you are being split in two. Exactly. Yeah. And even if you have someone that's sexually compulsive and has been the perpetrator of the betrayal, wanting to be on deck to help. And I'm in this podcast, I'll speak in a gender segregated way just for ease, but I'm well sure. aware the flip is true. Right. <laughs> you know, the, she doesn't trust him. Mm-mm. So even if there's desire and wanting to turn toward one another, it temporarily has been jeopardized. It's been polluted because of the betrayal. So this whole topic of self-care, it's really in many ways self-reliance psychologically of how do we build our own internal reserve and ability to steady the ship when life throws us for, the, for a loop. 
And especially with betrayal, it compromises our typical go-to people. Because in a, in a real sense, the betrayed person is on their own, at least momentarily. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, in my research with partners, mm -hmm. one thing that I found that really stood out, Jeff, was this process of what I what I coined and termed shielding. That yeah. even when you have a partner that's a social butterfly and has many close, healthy relationships, she will tend to shield and withdraw from her typical social network because of fear of judgment, shame, embarrassment, scared of how this will be judged, fearful that she will get advice, you know, run, run for the hills, or pressure to stay. So people shield to try to give themselves some buffer, which is a self-care act. That is a form of self-care, to give yourself some time to get the ground beneath your feet, stabilize somewhat before you reach out to your regular social system and family support. So I just want to acknowledge that because the isolation is real. About 68 to 70% of partners that have been betrayed will experience moderate to severe isolation. So this whole theme of learning how to fill our own cup even if it's short-term and temporary, mm -hmm. is essential. Right. Right. Because there will be a period of time where you've got to have something to kind of keep you out of, right, from slipping down into a darker place. Yes. And if you don't have that, well, what happens, Jill? Like, what have you seen when people, when, when in this case, like women who are betrayed, when they don't have that resource, what's the risk? The risk from my experience and observation is that it will compound and exacerbate all the symptoms of betrayal trauma. Okay. It will prolong the, the time in which they're in that place, that dark place. So being able to get good self-care and resourcing on board sooner, they'll move through that faster. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I see as well. Like, I love the way you put that. It, it, it accelerates, it compounds mm -hmm. what they're already experiencing as if that's not already hard enough. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So anything more you want to say on, on the betrayal of trauma piece, or do you want to move on to the addiction piece in terms of self-care, the need for that? Oh, so we certainly can shift gears. You want to shift gears there? Okay. Yeah. So again, I, I know that I would say by and large, we mostly talk about self-care early in betrayal trauma, like we're talking about. It's like 911. It's a very acute type of intervention. Mm -hmm. We need to get the life support on these betrayed partners really quickly so they can start to develop those resources. And oftentimes I find that in addiction recovery work, we talk about self-care way later in the game, mm -hmm. but I'm not convinced that's very helpful. I think that it needs to be talked about sooner. A lot of times it's kind of like, you know, their job is in some ways to just take care of the other person or just whatever. But this self-care, mm -hmm. I think it's just as essential early on. It just can sometimes maybe feel selfish, right? If it's yeah. misunderstood. Well, and, and let's talk about that in a moment. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to why, that. That's one of, yeah, that's yeah. one of the barriers to self-care. That belief right. that it's selfish. We'll get to that in a moment. But I love that you're bringing up this idea of self-care for those struggling with addiction and trying to heal and get yeah. into good recovery. Because from my perspective and experience, lack of self-care is one of the drivers right. of addiction. Because it stems from a lack of feeling self-worth. If you don't feel, and we're, we'll talk more about that later too, if you don't feel an inherent sense of worth, if you feel you're worthless, not good, there's not much motivation to take nurturing, healthy care of yourself. You don't deserve it. And often we know in the research that people that are struggling with compulsive sexual behavior 
they are disproportionately represented in the population that we would look to that are struggling with sexual trauma. They've typically been molested or sexually abused as kids. They have, they have a lot of wounding mm-hmm. and brokenness that's gone into setting the stage for compulsive sexual behavior. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. The earlier we can have someone in recovery see the need for learning how to nurture and care for self, the better, because it will be key for them to replace destructive behaviors with self-nurturing and self-caring behaviors. But the problem is the shame can be so, so deep and has been present for so long, they do not believe they're worthy. That feels mm-hmm. extraordinarily selfish. Like, I don't deserve to be good to myself in any way. I deserve to be punished and in the doghouse. But that's a shame attack. And we can talk about that later. But I, I believe exercising good self-care is part of being a functional adult because it honors and acknowledges our inherent self-worth and the fact that we have limits and wants and needs all of us, every one of us. So when we ignore those facts, we're in denial and we set ourselves up for destructive behaviors and very imbalanced, unhealthy life. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I see addiction as, you know, a really toxic form of self care. It is. Right. That's really all I see it as. And uh, I think it was Forrest Benedict. He said to me one time, he goes, Yeah. He was talking about his own recovery and he just said, Yeah, I just became a master of self neglect. He goes, that was, mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. just my whole, my whole program was just, you know, neglecting my own needs. And it's hard because the addiction inherently is obviously looks very selfish. There's oftentimes a lot of, you know, taking versus giving and those, these relationships where there's mm-hmm. someone with an addiction or abusive behaviors. And so the idea of them taking more for themselves, it's mm-hmm. hard. It's a hard, it's a hard thing for betrayed partners and even loved ones to watch because in my experience, it, it sort of looks like, oh, one more way to coddle yourself, one more way to comfort yourself, mm-hmm. one more way. But it's hard to talk about because nobody recognizes that everything they were doing before was misdirected at trying to get right. legitimate needs met. Well, and it, it was a maladaptive way Completely. of trying to get needs and wants met. Mm-hmm. But it was dysfunctional and developmentally immature. Yeah. I mean, I view, I view you know, pornography use and, and secretive sexual behaviors. It, they are immature developmentally, yeah. immature ways to try to get needs met. And, you know, one of the barriers, I think, to kind of overcome that is recognizing it, it takes good education, right? All of this, good education for the partner and, and the person working at sobriety and recovery. These are not typically people that had healthy self-care and moderation modeled to them. Yeah. So when we're, when we're born, it, it's, we are totally dependent and vulnerable. It takes healthy and good enough parents, healthy enough parents to model and reflect back what it looks like to get needs met in healthy, boundaried, moderate ways. And I, I notice a theme is that the addiction, the addicts that I see didn't have that. In fact, they either grew up in homes with addiction or there was a lot of neglect and or extremes in self-care that were modeled. So People come by this honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't share any of these observations with judgment. It's, it's with a lot of compassion, actually, and a desire that people can catch, really grab onto this idea that it's essential for recovery on both sides, and it's something that we need to educate about. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think, I think it really sets the stage ultimately for some self-forgiveness and some compassion mm-hmm. for all the years of self-neglect and other neglect, 
you know, at, that comes out of this because you're right. A lot of this is so systemic and, but the good news is, is like you said, it can be learned and it needs to be learned. Yeah. It's definitely not too late. It's never too late to learn self-care. No. Speaking of, I mean, so, so this idea of being a functional adult, mm-hmm. you talk about there's five components of functional adult behavior. Can you tell me about those? Sure. Yeah. So in, in the last two years, I completed post-induction therapy training at the Meadows in Arizona, which follows Pia Melody's mm-hmm. model. And I've just been so grateful for that. It's been life-changing for me personally, as I've been trying to walk that walk and path, and it's made a world of difference for partners that I'm working with. Essentially, the, the belief is that we are born with five key characteristics. And these five characteristics, I believe, Jeff, line up with most religious traditions and belief systems. So it's a nice fit in that way to do. The first, she believes that we are born inherently valuable and with inherent worth, that we are born vulnerable. Therefore, we need to manage that vulnerability with boundaries. And those boundaries have to be modeled by caring adults in our life, initially in our life. Third, that we, we have flaws. We're, we're perfectly imperfect. That's our reality. To embrace our humanity, we have to embrace the fact that we have strengths and weaknesses and to take reality on reality's terms. Fourth, each of us are born with needs and wants. And lastly, we are born spontaneous and open, which is a wonderful thing. It's also totally exhausts me as a parent. <laughs> um, th- but that is the beauty of yeah. one of the characteristics that we're born with. What happens though, is that through relational trauma and as life unfolds, we get thrown off center. We get thrown off from that authentic self and those core traits. And so we develop maladaptive ways of coping. We get into roles in families that don't serve us well, but that help us survive and to keep balance in a family system. So to become a functional adult, it's the grown-up version of those five traits that we start out with when each of us are born. And those five traits for functional adult are that we are connected. We have a felt sense of our inherent self-worth. And we're able to stay connected to that. We may go one up or one down, you know, when we get wobbly or triggered sure. or reactive. But, but as we're doing good healing work, we can come back to centered. No, I'm okay. You're okay. I have value. You have value. Secondly, we are able to manage our vulnerability and our care with good boundaries, good internal boundaries, what I take in, what I listen to, what I internalize or what I reject, and also my boundaries with others physically, sexually, spiritually, et cetera. So inherent self-worth, an effective boundary system. I accept reality on reality's terms. I'm not minimizing or denying it. I'm also not being a drama queen and embellishing it, making it something that it's not. Fourthly, I'm able to identify my needs and wants and get most of those met myself, right? There's healthy interdependence. I can turn for help, but I also know how to do a lot on my own. And lastly, that we live moderately. Addiction is the opposite. That's an extreme way of living. So a functional adult comes to a moderate place. And self-care is really one of the pathways to how we stay in that centered place of being functional, where we're not ping-ponging into extremes. I'm worthless or I'm, you know, all that in a bag of chips. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have no boundaries or we're all walled off. We, so is, is that helpful and yeah, valuable? Just those, those traits. And so I see self-care 
as I just mentioned, is a pathway to growing in our functional adult position. But I, I want, I hope I can articulate this well. Self care is not something we just tack on to life. Right. It's not, you know, we keep barreling forward and occasionally we have a mani pedi or we go to the gym or we eat a salad and think, hey, aren't I clever? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And it even had kale in it. Yay for Ooh, me. Yeah. Okay. Right. Self care is not a tack on. It's really, it's a way of embodying life. Self-care is a way of maintaining good boundaries with self and with others. It's a way that we manage vulnerability and our sense of worth. It's a way that we nurture healthy relationship with self and therefore can shift relationship with other. It's deeper. And, and may, I, may I share an example of what I mean by going deeper with this? Absolutely. You're doing great. Carry on. This is fantastic. <laughs> so... I think I, I'm sharing this story, I promise, with no judgment. This was a really insightful conversation in one of my group therapy sessions uh, last winter. And a woman, you know, bless her heart, she was doing her best with what she understood self-care to mean. And she came to a group and reported that she had gone for a manicure at a local nail salon. And hey, I love a good manicure with the best of them. But what happened was she went into the nail salon and she saw several Asian women working in the salon. Her husband, one of his forms of acting out, was going to an Asian massage parlor for sexual favors, essentially prostitution. She goes into the nail salon, and a lovely, she was lovely, lovely Vietnamese woman is working on her nails. Her nails look fantastic when she's walking out of the salon. But by the time she got out of the salon, she was so triggered. She had spent the whole time in the salon hating the women around her and hating herself. Right. So as a group, we unpacked what was the point of the, of the manicure. You spent $35 plus a tip on a manicure. Your nails look fantastic, but you came out of that completely beaten up emotionally. So that led to a discussion of it's deeper. It's not these outward things that we just do or tack on right. to a life that's out of balance. It's going deeper and realizing, how am I taking care of myself internally? Am I ripping myself apart with negative statements and being self-deprecating or comparing myself to every person I walk by at the mall or grocery store? Because if we are, my invitation to everyone listening, and this is something I strive to myself, is that I'm taking care internally to stay connected to my worth, my compassion, my love for self and love for people around me. So we reframed the manicure visit, and the next time she went, because she really did enjoy doing that activity, but this was soon after discovery, and she, she was an emotional wreck going with that. So she had to develop some affirmations, some things that she would hold on to spiritually, where she went in and she was able to self-care internally and spiritually and socially. She said, I, you know, I objectified the women in the nail salon. The whole time I was there, looking them up and down, comparing them to me. Oh, what if she? What has she got that I don't have? And we had to really challenge all the toxic thoughts that went with her into that nail salon. Those nail techs had been lovely. They they meant her no harm. They were not the women her husband acted out with. So we had to challenge. We had to go deeper and challenge all of that stuff, and then arm her with when is a good time to go to the nail salon. Don't go unless you're ready internally to take care of yourself and spiritually 
you know, go in there solid with who you are and to affirm your worth and to be on equal playing field with these other women. That's when her nail care suddenly took on new meaning. I really believe the best self-care that we do doesn't involve cost or things outside of ourselves. Yeah, right. It really, and, and I say that with all seriousness because let's face it, Jeff, when people are in treatment for sex addiction and betrayal trauma, the cost and the time and energy that goes into that is nothing to balk at. It's significant. It's a significant investment. So I encourage my clients, look for self-care strategies that are free, that are free, especially grounding techniques, all of that. The bulk of that you can do without any cost. Now, that doesn't mean there's, it's wrong to do something that costs something or to treat yourself to something. Absolutely not. But self-care, when we really understand what it is, is not something that should be breaking the bank or taking time that we don't have. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this idea that you know it's self-care when you're connected to the self because, right, when she's sitting in this nail salon or when somebody's maybe paying for something or going on a trip to get away or escape, are you disembodied, right? Are you completely disconnected from your heart, your spirit, your mind? Are you just spinning? Are you in trauma? Are you just ruminating? Because you can reconnect to yourself in your kitchen. Yes. You can reconnect to yourself on a walk. And so this self-care idea is, does not have to be as ambitious or as complicated as perhaps we make it sometimes. Exactly. Or yeah. outside of ourselves. I love what you said, you know, just even checking in. How am I doing today? Yeah. What's going on with right. my gut? Mm -hmm. What do I need? Do I need sleep? Do I need nourishment? Do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to journal out some thoughts and emotions that are circling around? Do I need to identify a truth about myself and hold on to that and remind myself of that all day? Right. So I break self-care down. There's many categories, but physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. Those are the, the four that I, I really emphasize. And to choose favorites within that and to integrate that this is really part of just good life hygiene. Yeah. This isn't, you know, just the way we live our life, not something we tack on if we happen to have time. But one thing I notice again and again, when you have a family system that's been impacted by addiction or mental illness, it's not just trust and relationship that get thrown out of whack or thrown for a loop. There's often finances that are out of balance. There's workaholism. There's extremes that are going on in how people are spending time. So self-care in good, effective treatment, I think, is an invitation to get life more imbalanced on every level. And so it's, it's an invitation. And I love this quote by Layla Delia, who says, self-care is how you take your power back. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And right. I think that applies for addicts as well as the betrayed. Self-care is how we take our power back because when we're not taking good care of ourselves, I believe, Jeff, we're more unsafe because we're not grounded. And when we're not grounded, we're less creative. We're less connected to others and to ourselves. When we're in fight or flight or in freeze responses, those are states where others may need to help us take good care. So the more we can be grounded and balanced, we are more likely to be attuned to what our needs are to, to care for. Yeah, I love that. And I think about, you know, let's say right after discovery, 
a, a betrayed partner is, of course, spinning and just feels physically sick and unsafe and just confused. And there's just so much that goes on. It's hard to put words around it. But a self-care would not just be at that moment, let's just whisk you away to the mountains and have a camping trip and just get some, get a break, you know, that might be. But the bigger question based on what we're talking about would really be about what do you need right now? What is your body telling you you need? What, what would help you feel capable of having the ability to make decisions and to be in your, you know, to be like we talked about earlier, to be fully embodied, to be able to feel safe and relaxed and comfortable. That might mean kicking someone out of the house. It might mean, or kicking him out of the house. It might mean, you know, going to therapy. It might mean joining a group. It might mean a hundred other things, but it's really coming from this place of like, what does the physical self need right now versus like you said, whatever a list of self-care activities that would help most people just feel relaxed. The goal is not relaxation, mm-hmm. right? It's that to me, that's almost like a side effect of it. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, good grounding and self-care work can sometimes need to be stimulating. If someone's right. depressed, I don't want them smelling lavender oil and staying <laughs> in bed all the day. No. Okay. Right. So that's another confusing thing. I'm glad you raised is that self-care, it can be, it can uh, and often does have a relaxing, calming effect, but sometimes good self-care is recognizing, hey, I'm in a funk. I need to get out there and connect. Even if it's walking, if I go to the, to the zoo and just be around people or listen to stimulating bilateral music or get out and get moving mm-hmm. or be in the sun without sunglasses, let the sun like, yeah. you know, do work its magic. So it's a really good point that so often we just think of the kind of yeah. calming piece of it, but sometimes our nervous system does need to be stimulated. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm not talking stimulated with sugars, fats, drugs, alcohol. I'm talking, <laughs> right. right? Right, right. Yeah. Stimulation. There are healthy ways to be stimulated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I, I love the reframe on this. I think that going at it instead of just looking at a list and picking something, it's really about it reminds me a lot of sort of what, what is taught in intuitive eating. Um, if you're not, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with that, Joe, but a lot of my mm-hmm. listeners may not be. It's just an approach that basically steers people away from rigid diet rules about how to eat and how to you know relate to food. And it's more about paying attention to what your body's telling you you need and trusting this innate mm-hmm. wisdom inside of you that it's, you know, you need more of this, less of that. And there's a real parallel here with self-care. I mean, it's the same exact mechanism, which is what do I need to feed myself right now, whether it is actual food or something else, right? More of something, less of something, boundaries. How do I feel around this person and their energy? Or what do I need right now in terms of feeling safe or comfortable? I and mean, there's just so many questions our body is trying to like, or so much data our body is trying to tell us about what's going on, our emotions in these four areas. How does somebody tune into that, Jill? Like, how do you, if you've got a chaotic partner or someone who's in the chaotic addiction, how do you start to slow down and actually hear what you need for self-care? Well, first, I'd want to acknowledge that's difficult. Yes. Just to validate that when you're living with the chaos and fog and drama of addiction, wow, that's a challenging situation. So I just want to normalize and validate that. Yeah. It's hard for, for people who aren't in those situations to do that. Right. Right. So, right. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. yeah. And you add that whole layer. Yeah. Be gentle on yourself. But, and it's okay to take baby steps. I know that that's really kind of a trite phrase, you know, <laughs> you know, that's so commonly used. But if you're not used to self-care practices, even small ways to introduce that can make a world of difference. Yeah. And I think it's practice. 
and it's always a moving target. We can have a really good regimen for taking time, journaling, connecting, you know, attending a 12-step meeting. And then every life stage, and I would say for families, every school year, it kind of throws things out of balance. We have to recalibrate. So it's practice. It's checking in regularly and prioritizing some time, even if it's a few moments. You know, I, so is it okay because it ties in with what you've just asked yeah, me? Is it okay please. if we talk, Jeff, about the barriers to self-care? Let's do it. Yep. Because this ties in. Yep. So I want to share some barriers that I see, and then I want to ask you the same question. Is this, we don't talk about this enough, in my opinion. Right. One of the barriers is lack of modeling. Mm-hmm. A lot of us grew up not seeing people take care of themselves or going living in extremes. Two, beliefs, limiting beliefs, thinking that self-care is self-indulgent or narcissistic or selfish. Time. In, I'm not from the United States. I was born in Europe. I've lived internationally and I'm a Canadian citizen. Living and getting ingrained in American way of life has really taught me how busy and fast-paced life is here and the expectation that it be that. I don't say that with criticism, but I think it's, a, it's an invitation. It's something we need to be aware of that culturally, the larger system we're a part of, I think becomes somewhat of a limitation to exercising good self-care yeah. if we allow it. So time. Money. If someone believes that self-care has to be manicures, memberships at an expensive gym, massages, special foods, let's say, that can be a real limitation. And then thinking that it's something they have to add to an already busy life rather than being part of a way of life. So those are then the biggest one of all, the biggest hindrance that we started with earlier on in the podcast is not feeling worthy, a lack of self-worth, because we protect and care for what we value. I firmly believe that. We protect and care for what we value. So if we're not connected and have a felt sense of our inherent worth, worth that cannot be changed with mistakes or even awful things we do or say, self-care is going to be a harder leap to make. Yeah, so true. Yeah. But what are you seeing? I mean, as you work, what are the, especially on on the addiction side, what are the barriers you see and encounter that block people from grabbing on to this topic. Well, I think I think with the with the people that are a lot of the men I work with that are trying to rebuild trust and that are trying to be accountable, they don't feel like they have a right to self-care. Mm-hmm. It really gets into this sense of I don't have a right to ask for anything from anybody and I don't have a right to feel good because I basically wasted all my feel good points <laughs> on my addiction. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a lot of guys that are very genuine, very earnest and sincere about self-sacrificing as they see it to sort of be there for their partners or their families. And they end up just depleting themselves. And so a lot of them, I've had guys ask me deep into a recovery process, you know, six months, a year in, when they'll actually ask me in all seriousness, like, when do I get to have some needs? I'm like, oh, wait, wait, let's back up a second. Where's that coming from? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, why are we asking, why are you asking that now? Let's look at that. Because they've really been kind of holding their breath this whole time thinking that they didn't have a right so I think that's one. And that, I see that mostly with, again, guys that lead with some accountability. For those that maybe are in deeper denial or maybe more reactive, more wounded, more defense, like I see it more as like there have been just so many patterns of self-neglect or like you said, immature or dysfunctional ways of trying to get their needs met 
that learning how to do it in a healthy way, they have no models for it. They have no permission right. for it. They have no, they just, there's just nowhere on their radar that shows them what this is even supposed to look like. So it's, so if they go, like, for example, if they saw their, their dad, you know, growing up, they saw their dad just like overdoing his hobbies, right? Always out with the guys mm-hmm. fishing, never home. They think, or well, can I add overdoing good things, volunteer work, yeah, church, church work, service, right? or that, things like that. That can also be a out of balance. Piece. So they maybe have grown up with an imbalance, right? Or a, or a dad that never mm-hmm. did anything and just sat around, or a mom, you know, that just self neglect all the time. So I think, like you said earlier, modeling is a huge piece of this. It's just a very strange thing for a lot of people to know even what this is supposed to look like in a balanced way. And then you mm-hmm. throw in the American culture piece that you just did, where we do everything sort of big. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot well, of comparison and pressure and expectations that, you know, and I, I just think that there's, we don't really have good, healthy models for this, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's culturally reinforced. I, I was reading yeah. a study recently that showed that in the last 25 years, the average American adult is working a thousand hours more per year than the average adult 25 years ago. That's colossal. That just that's, made it, me so tired when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's not to be, I mean, we have to take that into account when, you know, when people we're working with or people that are listening are like, please don't add one more thing to my life. And so that's why I, I really am hoping people can feel some hope that this can be easy. I don't say that to oversimplify this, but this can be, should be an easy, regular part of one's life. I'm wondering too, Jeff, do you see a lot of I'm going to say addicts to start sure. with, but it can happen to partners too, where if they haven't grown up with that modeling, that the self-care goes to extreme. Like I see, I've noticed men that will say, okay, I'm going to take up running. And suddenly they're training for this marathon. Yeah. They've never done a marathon yeah. before. And the training for the marathon, it's a socially acceptable replacement, if you will, for mm-hmm. the addiction. Absolutely. And, and so the self-care becomes out of balance and almost compulsive in its own right. Do you see that? Absolutely. I mean, 12-step, I see this all the time with people that attend 12-step meetings and they're, they're hitting multiple meetings a week, sponsoring anybody who will talk, you know, they're, they're just pouring themselves into this in the name of recovery. Or, and so a lot of the times the, the solution becomes the problem. Yeah. And you're right. This should not create more stress. It should not take up more time. If anything, I know in my own self-care practice, which of course is just vibrant and dynamic and living, I'm finding that the better I dial in where I'm at, the more things I'm cutting out, actually. Mm-hmm. The more mm-hmm. relationships I'm changing, the more I'm, yeah. I'm just curating all the time, pruning, getting really clear on what I need. And I find that I just need so much less than I really believed I did. Mm-hmm. Not only material things, but relationships and other things like that. I, the quality, I just, I want to savor and, and connect and deepen versus just be frantic and busy. So if you're feeling like as you're listening to Jill and I talk about this, my dear friends and listeners, do not believe for one second that this is supposed to be more of something. Yeah. Most people are already overextended. I love that point, Jeff, because some of the best self-care that I've witnessed and that I've tried to live in my own life has been simplifying, cutting out, yeah, stepping back from commitments that I'd overcommitted myself to. Sometimes it's the pairing away that is so nurturing mm-hmm. to restoring some balance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm amazed that one well-placed no thank you is way more relaxing and more peaceful to me than a trip to Hawaii. 
Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just saved myself potentially three months of you know stress and anxiety right. and commitment, let's say for a conference or other things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just so critical to get clear on these things. So I, I hope I hope this is helpful to you listeners. Jill, I want to talk about a resource. I'm going to mention it. I mean, it's mentioned in, in the intro that you've got materials and I will put it in the show notes, but I want my listeners to hear from you directly. You sent me a preview copy of 125 self-care ideas mm. for individuals healing from betrayal trauma that goes through these four areas of physical, uh, mental, spiritual, and social. And this is available on your website to purchase. It's beautifully laid out and it's a great resource. Can you just speak for just a minute before we wrap up here? how you would want someone to use something like this in light of what we've been talking about. Sure. Thank you. So this last year, I worked on this digital download project. And the the vision behind this project was I wanted people to have more bite-sized, manageable pieces of healing work because I was witnessing that when people are really, and myself too, when I've been overwhelmed and dealing with something big and someone says, here's this 300-page workbook. It's fantastic. It's a bestseller on Amazon. (laughs) My eyes just gloss over. It's like, it's just too much. So the beauty of these digital downloads was to break down what are some key components of healing from betrayal trauma, of which self-care is one that we focused on today. And in a few pages, provide people clear, manageable, doable skills right. that they can take with them and use again. They can integrate that into therapy that they're already that's already up and running or on their own for their own self-care and self-work, self-improvement work. So th- that was the vision behind it. And I, I just, I really hope that people can benefit from it. I've, I've put a lot of thought into how they're designed. I wanted them to feel calming and peaceful and beautiful to look at. I wanted to pack them with quotes that really resonated to, or things that have been great discussion points to my own groups. So there's been a lot of years of experience and experiences with real people dealing with this to make this as poignant and on point as possible. Yeah, it's amazing. And yes, and check, 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 check all of those. Yeah, I think you've, you've nailed it. I love these resources and one thing, and yes, when I look at them, it does feel like a warm hug. They're just so comforting and they're just so beautiful. And they're simple, which is critical, just about being able to say, just start here and let this just sort of open up some ideas. And you're right, it's packed with good information, but it's not overwhelming. And so if somebody's looking at a list of 125 self-care things, that can probably just you know make somebody tense who might be an over, overachiever. <laughs> I'm guessing you would probably instruct someone who's pulling up this resource to let it maybe just spark ideas or how would you want them to use it? Great point. Not all 125 ideas <laughs> are intended. I mean, someone could try, but it, it's really to get ideas generated. I hope people will modify or add at the end of each of the s- sections, there's a section for other ideas because I want people to engage this material and these ideas and tailor it to their own individual needs. The more they connect and really listen to what their body and spirit and mind are telling them. Yeah. So yeah, it's to spark ideas in a condensed one spot. And then there's quotes throughout. And let me share one of those quotes because I love this. Your relationship with yourself sets the tone for every other relationship you have. And so 
if we're not taking good care of ourselves, it will spill off in, into how we parent. It will spill off into our relationship with a higher power and with a partner that we may be in recovery work with. So it's a fundamental investment of time and energy into who are we, what are our needs, and how do we take care of this vessel called a body and, and our mind and spirit. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And Jill, if we had some glasses, I would just toast with you and just say to better self-care for all of us, right? <laughs> just feels like <laughs> exactly. that's my wish for everyone is that hopefully with, with listening to this and, and hearing and, and obviously hopefully accessing some of Jill's resources that, that you can deepen your own self-care practice and, and actually start to nurture yourself. You deserve it. We all deserve it. doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. You're living in a body. You have a spirit. You have emotions. You have relationships. And they all need care. And hopefully this can be a, a good opportunity for you to take charge of that and do something about it. So, And to become more functional and healthy adults as, oh, a, as a result. Yes, yeah. we could use more of those. I would love to <laughs> see all of us just grow and develop and just be the best version of ourselves. Yeah, that's wonderful. Jill, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been great, Jeff. If you want to connect more with Jill and the great work that she's doing, you can find her online at drjillmanning.com. And if you go to her website, you'll find a link to her digital store where you can find those downloads for the self-care stuff she talked about in addition to a bunch of other stuff. In fact, in the next episode, my second interview with her, we get into safety and issues around that. And she's got some fantastic resources on her website for that. But even just go spend some time there. You'll learn a lot. She's a great writer and has some good information on there. So yeah, so next time I meet with Jill, next episode, we're going to talk about safety. And I won't, you know, get into it too deeply right now because we're going to have a whole episode on it. But you'll definitely want to tune in for that because this is a term that a lot of people misunderstand, especially men. A lot of us guys, we have a hard time understanding what exactly safety means. And in today's culture, sometimes people throw the safety card out for stuff that maybe is more just like a personal preference or they don't want to feel uncomfortable. But, but Jill, we're going to talk about like real deep safety in terms of survival safety and, and how trauma and betrayal play into that. So definitely you're going to want to catch that one. But again, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And of course, please share this with anyone who you think will benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes or anywhere where you listen to podcasts so people can find this great information and it can change somebody's life. I get emails and comments from people on a regular basis about how the interviews and the information they're learning from this podcast is making an actual difference in their lives. I hope it is for you. I hope that you're getting the help and the support that you need. Drop me a line. I love hearing from you. You can reach me at Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, at TrustBuildingAcademy.com. I'd love to connect with you, hear what you have to say. And if you have any suggestions for topics or people you want to hear from or anything else, just drop me a line. I'll get back to you. I respond personally to everybody who writes me. It really means a lot to me. And I want to connect and create a great community of people who want healing. Thanks again, everyone. And I'll see you in the next episode.